it is necessary to investigate before legislating. But the line between investigating and persecuting is a very fine one. The investigators tell us it seems the suspect was going to pass them, then turned and fired. Christine, Laura, what you're seeing behind me is one of multiple locations. Arise to support the impeachment of President Donald J. Trump. And I'm about to talk to him about allegations that he was involved with prostitutes in Moscow and that the Russians taped it and have leverage over him. Before we get to our guest, I wanted to talk to you about something that's really important to me, which is privacy. Moving money around, moving information, sending messages in today's world with Web 3.0 coming down the pike. Privacy is very critical, especially to a journalist like myself. Utopia P2P is a complete privacy ecosystem. It's a 360-degree approach to privacy. It includes everything you need to move information or value around the world. It includes a encrypted messenger service, an email platform, and cryptocurrency payment system. It's fully decentralized, so it's not on any main server. It's based on blockchain, so it's distributed. It has an unmatched level of security. It has a feature-rich toolkit on the system uh, that supports 28 languages. There's a very low barrier to entry, and it also supports Bitcoin and also their coin internally. So if you're looking for a way to move information and money around the world where you don't want prying eyes uh, looking at what you're doing, go to Utopia P2P and have complete privacy on their system. And now let's get to our guest. Welcome back to Information Operation. We always pride ourselves in bringing you the real deal from in-country, wherever the uh, world is blowing up at the moment. And currently, it's blowing up in East Ukraine and Donbass. We have our intrepid reporter, George Eliason, who's done some incredible work for us prior and after the election on the information operations being waged against the American people. Welcome back, George. Hi, how are you, Don? So I'm just going to let you take it and give our audience an overview. You're sitting in Donbass, which is East Ukraine. It's in the middle of the war zone, which is still killing people. Tell us what you see on the ground as far as Russian buildup, uh, the media firestorm, any type of disinformation being put out uh, to the world. Go ahead. Well, there's a lot of disinformation um, being put out right now, and it's, it's just crazy the level it's at. Um, before the show, we talked about, you know, how close is close. Mm -hmm. And to understand the problem, you know, we'll start there. Mm -hmm. Ukraine is saying that Russia's on the border and they're, they're ready to come across and they're going to invade. But back in, it was October, November, um, the closest that the Russian army actually got, the military actually got, was 160 miles from the border. They were closer to Belarus than they were to Ukraine. Um, they, it was obviously because tensions were spiking up and they did war games. Mm -hmm. But they, the troops went back to base. Which Putin does all the time. He moves troops all around, does spot inspections, does spot drills. It's kind of his hallmark over the last decade. Yeah. Well, every country does that. Yeah. Um, every country. You know, so saying, you know, to, to start an alarm because you're saying an entire, you know, the Russian army is coming. When you've been saying that for eight years and they never came, it's, you know, it, all it is is information war fodder. Mm -hmm. 
and you know that the worst thing that can happen might europe might be in a war over this the united states might be drawn into a war over this and the, the question is why mm -hmm. if ukraine has been crying wolf for eight years shouldn't we at least check um under reagan it was trust and verify and we haven't been able to verify anything on this because it's just not there. The threat isn't there. The big part of the big reason for this is Ukraine can't afford gas. And that's what's driving this whole thing right now. Now, our audience should know that there are a lot of pipelines from Russia through Ukraine to Southern and Central Europe that carry natural gas to heat those countries. Uh, that's been a bone of contention because Ukraine draws transit fees from Russia for that. Uh, but they, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which is coming from Russia to through the Baltic Sea to Northern Europe, is cutting into that flow. And so, uh, you know, a lot of that is what's causing some of the tension right now, correct? Yeah. Um President Zelensky actually went as far as saying that if Russia stops using the Ukrainian transit pipes, he won't be able to pay for the army in Donbass, mm -hmm. which, you know, it's kind of self-defeating, you know, if you ask me. But well, what's before we go on, what's going on in Donbass? There's been a simmering, really just kind of a trench artillery warfare now since... 2014 15 right i mean they're still Correct. robbing shells on both sides it's still just kind of uh just um, kill a few guys a week kind of thing right yes exactly but um right now things um are stepping up a little bit about a month ago there were reports that uh ukraine brought in chemicals chemical weapons okay well the shells or whatever no one can get a handle on exactly what they are uh just today Ukraine, um, what the Ukrainian intel? Okay, the head of Ukrainian intelligence uh, said that there was a chemical spill or chemical accident on the Donetsk side of the line. Mm -hmm. Well, every time they've done this, it's been in, in at the beginning of a buildup and you know going into the direction of what they're complaining about. Okay, they've done this in the past. Now the OSCE and um, the Republic inspectors checked and nothing was there nothing happened you know thankfully but you know if something does happen they've already laid their cards out okay so the, the osce is the organization for security and cooperation in europe which is kind of like the peacekeepers in the region in the war zone not, not peacekeepers they're inspectors okay okay um they they don't do if there's trouble in a certain place they stay as far away from it as they can Mm -hmm. okay, okay, they'll come in afterwards. Okay. Um, it's, it's not an armed force. Okay. So what uh, What are people saying? Are people worried on the ground that there's going to be some type of conflict and an invasion? Do, uh, you know, in the United States and in Europe, we're hearing, you know, Saki said yesterday that Russians could invade any time. I mean, what, what are you seeing on the ground? I mean, are, is that just, what, what do people think of that concept? Uh, on the ground, I think it's crazy. Yeah. Russia has absolutely no interest in invading Ukraine. 
um, do you remember Colin Powell during the Iraq, the Iraq war told George sure. Bush, if you break it, you pay for it? Yeah. Uh, Russia has absolutely no intention of fixing Ukraine. Yeah. Okay. So they have absolutely no intention. There's no need for them to do this. Right. All right. Um, if they were going to come across, it, it would have been, uh, gosh, uh, pick, pick an escalation um, over the last, you know, five since, let's say, forget 2014. How about 2015 under Poroshenko? Yeah. And, you know, it's, it starts when they start massing troops here. Okay. You'll start hearing this talk. Now, Ukraine this whole year has worked to, to move half their entire army here. And that's, think about that for an escalation. Okay. Yeah. So that's what everybody's concerned about here. Because, you know, should they start coming across, okay, they're going to blitz. And, and once that happens, it's just going to be civilian casualties. Yeah. Well, what do you expect? What do you expect Russia to do at that point? Just sit by? Yeah. Because, you know, you, you have the soldiers at the front line, you have the armies at the front line, but then what about after that? When they came through the in 2014, um, they kind of set the pace of what they're going to do when they get here. And they were cleansing vi villages like there's no tomorrow. All right. It's not the army itself. The Ukrainian army um, didn't do that, but it was all the volunteer battalions. Okay. They were settling scores. They were robbing people and they were killing people. And that's what's going to happen again if, if they do make it. So. What, what, are, what are the, the uh, there's reports of British bringing in anti-tank missiles. Um, and the, the javelins that we sold them a few years ago, at some point they tested them and they didn't work. Have you heard any updates? Right. Yeah, they didn't work. <laughs> um, you know, the thing with anti-tank weapons is, you know, it's a small part of the battlefield. Uh -huh. Okay, let's, let's be realistic. It's a small part of the battlefield. Um, so you'll have a little bit of an effect, but not on the overall battle. Okay. In terms of a defensive measure. Okay. In terms of the propaganda you can generate from it. Yeah. A lot. Right. You, you know, if you, you see a, a javelin missile working. All right. It, that's, that looks scary on film. That would scare anybody on film. Sure. All right. But in terms of, of being able to control the battlefield, you have to be competent in how to use that. And, um, you know, honestly, if you start, when you start selling you the Ukrainians, these weapons, once the, the um, volunteer battalions get them, they start selling them, whether it's over this way or to, you know, other countries like Syria. Mm -hmm. Okay. Not Syria itself, but against Syria going toward, towards the Kurds or ISIS. You know, they were over there fighting with them. So I'm really not, militarily, those things aren't a big concern. What is a concern is um, going beyond anything other than a moral um, moral support. Mm -hmm. Once you start setting troops, even, you know, let's say, you know, they're, they're, 
everybody would know, should know that there's, there are um, special operations troops here from different countries, mm. okay? Now, I'm talking on the Ukrainian side of the line, all right? Mm. Yes, there are Americans there. But what happens when those Americans start getting killed in, in big numbers? Mm -hmm. What would happen? Now, I'm not saying they will, but what would happen once that, that it's, uh, you know, the, the news uh, cycle? Sure. All right. Biden may not have the opportunity to do anything but jump into a war. Yeah. Okay. And that's a problem. So if you're going to commit these soldiers, you, you need to make sure you, you understand the ramifications, the worst case scenario of what you're committing them to. Yeah. Because if you're going to throw them in there and then you're going to dump them and leave them there. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Well, tell us about Donbass, Donetsk, Luhansk, um, the area you're in, which is controlled by, for lack of a better term, what people call the Russian separatists or whatever. Is it, is it, um, are most of them Russian speaking? Are there Ukrainians mixed in? How are people surviving on a day to day basis? I mean, you, you have a mixture of cultures, right? Well, here, here's the thing with it. Um, other than the very now, when they talk about you know the the, the Russian Ukrainians or Russian speaking Ukrainians, mm -hmm. historically there were two empires, uh, you know, in Eastern Europe, mm -hmm. um, and where they met, it was the Holy Roman Empire, the Habsburg Empire, mm -hmm. and it was the Russian Empire. Okay, and Empire. where they met was a lot further west than where I'm sitting right now. Mm -hmm. It was over into Poland. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's, you know, Ukrainians get a little bit upset about it, you know, saying, calling uh, their country the Ukraine, all right, you know. Um, but it was actually uh, the borderlands. On one side, you had the little Austrians, because it was the Austro-Hungarian Empire, mm -hmm. or Holy Roman Empire. And on the east side, you had the Russian Empire. So you had little Russians and little Austrians, okay? That's what they called them. All right, and that's out of Ukrainian literature. Now, so when you say Russian, you know, who are these people? Well, most of the people across Ukraine, okay, are related from the same stock. It's it's almost homogenous, mm -hmm. okay, in that sense. And you have 18 different cultures, about 18 different nationalities here, okay? But they all belong to either one empire or the other empire, and that's how they count it. In terms of language, um, right now it's it's it is mostly Russian. Everything the official language is Russian, but on a casual day, if you stroll down the street, you'll hear a, you know a combination. Um, you've got oh gosh, I'm not even sure. They've got a its own. The language itself has its own name, but it's um, Ukrainian Ukrainian pronunciations of Russian language. Hmm. So instead of, you know, hotel, which would be um, Ukrainian, it would be gotel in Russian, okay? Now, in terms of culture, the culture differs very, very little east to west, okay? And I was here, I lived for a few years in West Ukraine, okay? I was on the border of Moldova, all right? Now, the culturally, the people there, are very very similar to here because of that it was 
homogenous and it, it had a little to do with coming out of the Soviet Union, but not yeah. so much. It was personal. Also um, some Romanian mixed in there, right? Also oh, yeah. some Romanian. And, and Romanian and German and Hungarian and oh God, Bessarabian and, and all these people are really proud of who they were, yeah. where they came from. You know, it's like being an American. All right. Well, I'm Italian, this on that, on that. Well, you're American. And that's just, Ukraine isn't built on a Ukrainian, you know, um, you know, like, uh, I don't know, a nationality, which is why they hop on language so much. All right. It's built on, um, I hate to use the term artificial construct because it's, you know, no country should be, it's a country. Mm -hmm. All right, you know, get over it. All right, let's be grown up. But the fact that they, what made it unlivable after Maidan is, you know, let's say, okay, you're conservative, right? All right, now conservatives picked up the term uh, nationalist, nationalism, mm -hmm. all right? And they equate with patriotism. But what if that term, okay, when you take it back to its original form meant if you're going to be an American, you have to think exactly like I think. Mm -hmm. So um, Jesse Ventura is a real American, and we all have to be like him. We all have to have his theology. We all have to hold those politics, and anything outside that mold is no longer American. As a matter of fact, if you say or do anything against that, you're an enemy of America. Yeah. Okay? That's what nationalism actually is in the rest of the world. All right. When um, after Maidan, that's where uh, the ultranationalists took the country. And for the politicians to survive in, in Kiev, that's where they went. Why? They've, they're also the oligarchs. They have too much money there. Um, you know, they're not going to walk away from it. They certainly don't want it taken away from them. So it's a lot easier to be a part of the system. And, and yeah, yeah than to, to stand up and say, no, Jesse Ventura might be a good American, you know, but so so is Todd Wood. Mm -hmm. And what Todd Wood thinks is just as important as what Jesse Ventura thinks. Okay? So he's an American too. And so is this one. And, you know, and so is, you know, um, I don't know, who, who who's your favorite Democrat these days? You're asking me? <laughs> yeah. Joe <Girl> Manchin. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, how about Joe Rogan? Sure, yeah, sure. Joe Rogan. Yeah. Well, okay, now okay, now we did the unforgivable. All right, but yeah, Joe Rogan's a Democrat. But what is he? He's a centrist. Mm -hmm. He's a, People our age were stepped back to where America was before all this shit happened. Mm -hmm. Okay? And so, okay, well, all right, you're a Democrat, so I look at you funny. But okay, you've got some good ideas. And we can't get there today because the Democratic Party has gone full-blown nationalist on us in the same vein that Kiev did. And if you don't think like us, you're no longer American. So if you can't say that, you know, Joe Biden's a genius, well, you can't be American anymore. All right? So we have that problem. Now, back to Ukraine. We'll wind right back into that. Um, what Ukraine did... Going after Russia, um, they created a problem that 
it's going to take a lot of very, very calm heads coming to the table and calling them, you know, sitting down and saying, look, you've got problems and we need to deal with those problems. But right now, Russia is not your problem. You need to deal with the people that, you know, they need bread right now. They need heat right now. You need people, you, you need to deal with people that need jobs right now. Mm. Okay. And if you keep throwing everything into your army, well, guess what? They got one month worth of diesel. How far do you think they're going to get? Yeah. Where going go into that this? a little bit. Why is Ukraine, it's one of the most energy rich regions of the world. Why are they short on energy right now? Because they have to frack. Um, they are literally, they have the second largest gas reserves in Europe behind Russia. Okay. But that gas is below 5,000 feet. Mm -hmm. Okay. The other part of it is, it's that it's bordering on the Donetsk Basin, which brings them close to the front line. Right. Now, if, if they de-escalate, they'll be able to go after that gas. Okay. Um, I don't think you're going to find a gas company that's going to set up shop you know, right at the edge of a war zone, yeah. you know, and be good with it. Now, you know, let's say, you, you know, you just go to a, you know, a regular Cold War thing. Oh, as long as there's assurances from both sides, yeah, they could do business there. But the problem is for, for Ukraine right now is because it's so far down, they have to frack. It's very expensive gas. And, you know, if they don't subsidize 80% of the cost for their own people, their people can't afford the gas and they have to export all of it. Right. And that's, that's a big problem. So Ukraine, um, if you look at Turkey right now, Turkey was in a very odd position with Russia because they go toe to toe, head to head here and there. They sent the drones over here, the drones over here making trouble, killing people. All right. Mm -hmm. Now in Syria, Russia and Turkey went head to head, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, where's Turkey get its gas? Turkey has cheap gas, by the way. Now, I'll give you a hint. It's not from the transit line that they have from Azerbaijan. Hmm. All right. That transit line is where they make money. But where do they get their gas? It's from Russia. Directly from Russia, they get cheap gas. Along with their tourists. Along with their tourists. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, <laughs> But, you know, even with the issues that they had, okay, they know that, all right, there's a line, I have to take care of my people first, mm -hmm. all right, and that's what I need to do. Ukraine has this way of, and I, you know, I really don't want to sound anti-Ukrainian in the sense of I don't like the people. Yeah. Because I lived, I lived on that side of the country, the west side of the country, for two years. Mm -hmm. And the people there, you know, the people there were beautiful. Mm -hmm. The people here are beautiful. Mm -hmm. But Kiev has this way of, um, you know, the, they'll, they'll break the jar and then ask for cookies. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's unfortunate. It's the way, they, it's the way it is right now. Well, this is a little bit of a, a, a an overview of what we've already talked about in the past, but people may not have been as, as tuned in then. 
but the information ops that came out of Ukraine against Trump uh, mm-hmm. in, in, in coordination with Poroshenko, who has was forced from the country because he was stealing hundreds of millions of dollars uh, from American aid and through the central bank. And, and but now he's come back as the hero trying to retake power. So talk a little bit about the information op and, you know, and then you roll that into the absolute money laundering playground Ukraine is for the Democratic Party and the corrupt U.S. national security establishment. I mean, talk about all that and, and how that's coming into play now with Russia as far as this information operation that's going on. Well, the information operation back then, um, it rolled over into the U.S. Uh, in 2016. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it went from what they built the, all the structure, um, the direction, everything was against Russia. Mm-hmm. When they rolled it into uh, the U.S. into you know against Donald Trump, they already had that structure built, and you, you know the best way to go was you know Russia collusion, Russia this, Russia that, Russia, Russia, Russia. Right. So with everything already built, it was a lot less expensive to maintain. The other part of it was the companies behind it. Okay, backed up as soon as the, you know, it came back to the border. All right. Uh, they want no, you know, I, I've had a lot of contact with these people. And they know one thing. One, if there's a way I can get them to hang, I'm going to do it. Quick trial, hang them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a wonderful thing. But I'm not going to sit here and say, okay, somebody did something they didn't do. It's just, you know, you've got to, everyone has their own sin. They don't need, you know, tack on a few more. Um, they didn't come across the border with it. The clients did it for the Democratic Party, okay? And then the Democratic Party was one of the clients, all right? Now, we take that all the way through 2020, okay? That's what was going on. The same people that are behind and I'm starting to follow this out now, by the way. I've only, the information is new to me. We looked at um, the Capitol riots. It was one of the last things I was writing about. Yep. And I was finding um, Eastern European involvement. Mm-hmm. But it lacked direction. I couldn't, okay, where do we go from here in the investigation? Mm-hmm. Well, Kazakhstan becomes interesting because the people that handled the on-the-street riots, organizing, communications, and direction, did it for six or seven um, different color revolutions, coup attempts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kazakhstan's the last one. Mm-hmm. So I found them. And yes, they're out of Ukraine. Yes, they work with George Soros. Very, he funds them. Um, yes, they work with Peter Poroshenko. And, and, you know, that they, they hit all the numbers on that. So I'm pushing it in that direction, um, looking at the, the Capitol Hill riots now, mm-hmm. what actually happened there. Because you had a violent crowd, which is uh, what they did when you look at it. It's familiar to me living over here. We saw that in Kiev. We saw that in Crim, Crimea. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you don't see that in America. When was the last time you saw that kind of violence when they were trying to break the, the group that was trying to break down the um, doors and get in. Okay. Now you had the other group and that's consequential too, because 
You have two separate groups. Um, the ultra-violent group, did anybody get arrested from that? A lot of that's coming out I, now. Those, those people were not arrested, most of them. I don't hear, I've never heard of anyone why. Well, I know that's where a couple uh, Ukrainians were. Mm -hmm. Okay, I know that. And then in, in the other side of the group, you had a video I found. Now, there were people speaking in uh, Ukrainian. Yeah, we, we put that uh, out last year with you, I believe. Yeah. Right. They broke through a window. Yeah. Now, and then you had the, the, the people that went in and did sightseeing, which, yeah. you know, God love them. What are they going to get, 50 years? Yeah. All right. But I think I might have found the group that um, crawled across the underbelly of the thing and, and kept it organized on the violent side. Mm -hmm. So, you know, hopefully I'll be able to, you know, follow that out altogether. Uh, whether they are or they're not, it'll be worthwhile because it's actually the best lead that I've seen. Mm. Okay. Now, they, they did Kiev. I mean, I'm sorry, um, Kazakhstan, rather. All right, all the violence there, these people organized it. Yeah. And no one saw them. It was they obviously organized in. because it went straight into, you know, uh, <clears throat> battles and weapons. Mm. And you don't hear much about it. You know, it was wrapped up, rolled up pretty, you know, once Russia moved troops in, it was rolled up pretty quick. Yeah, well, they didn't expect anybody to look at it, so they made the mistake of posting um, a Zoom meeting that they had organizing it. Wow. That's your yeah, special. It was like, finding those kind of things. <laughs> it was, I, I swear, I'm like, I, I, you know, I can't believe what I, you know, I can't believe. I can't believe this, right? Yeah. So I handed some. Okay, they they speak Ukrainian. Ukrainian. Wow. Well, that's that's nice. But they're, they're talking about organizing uh, the coup attempt in Kazakhstan. So that okay, that's them. Wow. Um, but I have funding. Um, I have all the preparation books, um, all the preparation work that they did over a few years. Okay, on that. Now, this again is coming out of um, part of it's the Ukrainian government. So, hmm. what you're looking at today in terms of um, information operations, um, it's a little less coordinated. The guy that managed 2014 in Ukraine, um, that methodology that came to the US, he's back in Ukraine. He wrote to me and let me know, said hi. Uh, he started back up, and he's behind all the media stuff that's going on right now. Are they right still now. after you and threatening you? Pardon? Are they still after you and threatening you, trying to find you? Yeah, he's told me if, you know, if I don't let him be, you know, he's former SOF and knows what, the, and I should know what that's going to mean. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that is what it is. But the important thing is people get the real story, and if they understand it, and we can stop it. What's going on? Or you can live with what's happened the last five years in the U.S. That's your new norm if we don't stop it. Yeah. And there it is. Tell, tell me what, um, you know, what is the 30,000-foot view explanation of, you know, Zelensky, Poroshenko was pushed out of power. Zelensky is, you know, Kolomoisky's behind him. 
uh, Poroshenko's with Biden in the gang. I mean, what is going on mm -hmm. there? What's happening for the power struggle there? Well, I think that's part of the reason why Biden won't commit troops here. <clears throat> Thankfully, mm -hmm. um, Zelensky, you know, you, you said it right. Zelensky and Poroshenko don't get along. Mm -hmm. um, Zelensky was supposed to uh, do one thing when he got elected. He only had one thing to do. He had 70% of the vote to do one thing that would stop the war. Mm -hmm. If he stopped the war, Ukraine, um, if we could just, you know, put all the war-related stuff to the side, okay? Yeah. If the war wasn't there and Zelensky had a, a clean slate to run with, Ukrainians would have cheap gas, the economy would be booming, all right? Um, they could actually be rebuilding a lot of... I guess a lot of the clout that they had, whatever clout that was, okay, internationally, instead of instead of, you know, I you know I don't know how you see them in America, but the rest of the world don't, they don't look very very pretty, okay, um, they look very needy. Mm -hmm. So, the country itself, when I got here, um, was just you know the economy was starting that it was hopping, and it had a future. I remember and that. everybody looked forward to that. Everybody looked forward to that future. All right. And Zelensky had the opportunity to maybe not get there in the first term, but move back toward that. And he gave that up. Um, as soon as he got in, he got scared uh, by the nationalists. Uh, two of his closest uh, advisors were, one of them was. Dmitry Yaros. Dmitry Yaros is the head of, was the head of Pravi Sector during Maidan. Mm -hmm. um, he's a consummate neo-Nazi for Ukraine. All right. Um, one of Zelensky's closest advisors ended up being Yaros's former spokesman. All right. So was he going to move away from, you know, the war? No. Mm -hmm. um, they threatened that, you know, they were going to kill him. And that'd be the end of it. Yeah. So instead, he cowed down, and he cowed out to them, and he cowed out to the U.S. diaspora. Yeah. Um, that's um, Alexander Chalupa's crowd. All right. Do they care about Russia? It's kind of by rote. It's ingrained. They really don't have an issue with Russia, but they were brought up to do to be that way. You know, it's you know being brought up to be a bigot, mm -hmm. all right? There's no real reason there. Um, what they actually don't like are most of the people of Ukraine that they consider to be too Soviet. Mm -hmm. And that's something that nobody's, you know, it, it needs to be considered because as long as they look at them as not being Ukrainian enough, um, they're expendable. Meaning not globalist enough, meaning not in the globalist Western camp, basically, is what you're um, saying, right? Meaning not nationalist enough yeah. in a, the vein of Stepan Bandera. Yeah. All right? That's how they see Ukraine. And they will, they will waste every Ukrainian life they have to to fight Russia until these Ukrainians 
become the Ukrainians in the mold that these people see it. And it's not fair to Ukraine. It, it's, a, it's not fair to these people. Um, if you, if you, prior to 2014, I don't care where you went in Ukraine, what you saw was a smile. Mm -hmm. um, criminal activity, violent crime, very low. Very, very low. I mean, it was, it was almost funny. If you see two guys fighting in the streets, which happens sometimes, um, you know, things being what they are. I, I don't remember seeing one fight in eight years. Okay. And you see, you see a few of them. They don't get, you know, end up grabbing each other over the shoulder and walking away, you know, going to get something to eat afterwards. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, I mean, that's just Ukraine, you know, very friendly. Um, and it turned into something else. And yeah. it's not the Ukrainian people, but it's these um, border, uh, they're, they're outliers. These people that they're criminals. So they like the idea of being neo-Nazi because it allows them to be more criminal. All right. And no one's going, you know, no one's going to call the police on them. Can you imagine, you know, in your state, if a group of people said, okay, told every police chief, you need to step down or else. Oh, you went through that. Yeah, we're doing that now, George. <laughs> Pravi Sector, um, which, you know, unfortunately, I believe is part of that group in the U.S., mm -hmm. um, when they said that, they went around and they hung the police chiefs. They cut their throats in front of their families. Mm -hmm. They took these people and, you know, there's, there's a video of Azov putting them a guy on a cross, crucifying him and then lighting it up. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the average Ukrainian, all right, now do I want to deal with these people or do I, you know, want to just get along? You know, right. Right. so I think eventually, it, you know, it might roll back around. It certainly won't with Zelensky in office, but you know, who's left right now? It won't with Poroshenko in office either. Oh, Poroshenko will just get back. It'll get worse. Yeah. Yeah, do you realize that when um, uh, Yushchenko was in office, um, Poroshenko, oh, what was he? Is um, he wasn't he wasn't finance minister. I forget what he was in it. He was actually voted back then to be the most corrupt politician in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Okay, and you know who's the first guy you know up at that? Yeah. After am I done? Well, it says a lot about it. Yeah. Well, George, thank you for that. I want to stop it there, um, and I want to come back soon and talk Kazakhstan and uh, some sure. other things. And I look forward to written material from you soon. And uh, thank you for your insight because we want to give it to the West, which needs a different viewpoint right now to round out the uh, what's in the news. Thanks, so, Todd. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.